Hey, Yanchi Goes listeners, Sarita here. In honor of Pride Month, I wanted to do something a little different. I wanted to do a takeover. Instead of attempting to speak on behalf of queer-identifying women of color, I wanted the community to speak for themselves. Two wonderful ladies who both identify as queer women of color are taking over our podcast to share their stories of coming out to their traditional families, travel, speaking, and living in their truths. Please enjoy Ravina Ballara, writer, multimedia artist, and textile designer, and Allison Jacks of Bone Velvet Artist Formation and teacher of Dance Church at Steps PDX. Enjoy. You want to figure out how can I go out there in the world and feel quote-unquote normal. I had the privilege of meeting incredible people that you would really only meet by chance. There's a lot of places on this planet that have humbled the shit out of me. I think the thing that makes you unique and different is the thing that's going to position you for success. I don't shine if you don't shine. I was glowing. You were. I was truly in my damn homeland. In first grade, a girl approached me in figure skating class proclaiming she wanted to be my friend. What's your name? Ravina. That's hard. I'm going to call you Rose. Only slightly taken aback that I was blatantly renamed, I took my new white girl name as a badge of honor. I fantasized about the ways my life would be easier if I were a white girl. As a white girl, my, mo- my white mom would pack me a proper American meal, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on white bread, Grapes on the vine, baby carrots, a plastic Ozarka bottle, a bag of Lay's, and a candy bar, all unsustainably packaged in a nondescript brown paper bag. Instead, my non-white mom packed me leftovers of the Gujarati-style shock she cooked the night before, lovingly paired with rolled rotis, full-size carrots that had been cut into slivers and grapes that were taken off the vine before they were put in a baggie, all packed in a bright green-blue bag. I never heated my lunch in an attempt to downplay the mixed scent of coriander, cumin, and turmeric. The smell of Indian food, however, can't be tamed. It doesn't need heat to give it legs. I used to bring my lunch home, untouched, until my mom finally called me out on it. Then I would take my food to the trash can at the beginning of the lunch period and throw anything remotely un-American. I tried so hard during my early American years to feel American, but no one in my American history textbooks looked like me. There were few women and definitely no Indians. I was briefly convinced the Native Americans in my book looked like me. However, I made the mistake of exclaiming this out loud in class, and I was quickly corrected by the fat, stuck-up Greek kid who always sat in the front row. You're the dot kind of Indian, Ravina, not the feather kind. Your people own gas stations, not reservations. Later that year, we were learning about slavery and segregation, and I found another label that suited me. I was horrified to learn that I was a colored person, and my ancestors were enslaved, and forced to drink out of different water fountains and go to different schools. Again, I announced my dismay to my first grade class, which elicited a sharp response from my first grade teacher. This chapter isn't about your people, Ravina. What would have happened to someone like me? I was so confused. I definitively knew I wasn't white. The kids in art class who always handed me the brown marker as they fought over the peach color consistently informed me I was brown, which was the color of poop, even if it was an ugly color. I was definitely a color. I was definitely colored. I don't know, the teacher responded. It was the first question I had ever seen my first grade teacher unable to answer. I was proud that I had stumped her with such a hard question. That summer, I went to India for the second time. In India, I learned about Gandhi, who was from my dad's hometown, Rajkot. I learned that Martin Luther King Jr. studied nonviolence from Gandhi, and I wondered how this detail never came up in school. 
I also learned that as much as I was not American enough for America, I was definitely not Indian enough for India. I met my Indian cousins once when I was a baby, but I didn't remember anything from that first trip. They kept telling me about the things I loved the last time I was there, and I believed them. We would go sightseeing in Rajkot, and the admissions booths of all the attractions had the same signage. 100 rupees Indian, 300 rupees NRI. NRI stood for non-resident Indian. I wouldn't say a word as my three girl cousins lined up, paid their 100 rupee fee, and when it was my turn, the attendant would demand 300. I never knew what gave me away. My aunts would always praise my quiet nature while insulting my figure to my parents. Ravina is so respectful and so simple. She's also getting so fat. I was confused about the comments about my weight since I was always classified as underweight. I assumed it was a translation issue. My parents would smile and nod. They were pleased I was called simple, but in reality, we purchased a whole new wardrobe for these vacations to India. Nothing flashy, nothing with text, nothing too revealing. It was essentially a costume. Even with my new attire and my painfully quiet demeanor, I was inevitably offered a chair and spoon while everyone sat cross-legged on the floor and ate their dal with a cupped hand. A painful reminder that Americans don't sit on the floor or eat with their hands. I am Indian American. The hyphenation has always been confusing to me. I've never felt particularly American, but I've also never felt distinctly Indian. A white girl wouldn't have a hyphenation in her identity. If I were a white girl, I wouldn't have to be identified. I would be white, the color of my skin, the color of purity, angelic expression, and a blank page waiting to be filled. But I'm not a white girl. I'm not Indian. I'm not American. I am the other. I'm, my name's Allison, I go by AJ, and that was really beautiful. Thanks for sharing. I feel like I identify so much with the beginning of that story, with, with a lot of it, but particularly the lunch story, because that's like what really hit home for me when I first moved here, that was like, damn, kids are mean. And just going into lunch with like a stinky lunch, for lack of a better expression, and being super embarrassed to open it up because you didn't have Lunchables or chips or just, you know, the cool thing. So I totally identify with that. Um, so I was born in Paraguay, in Asuncion, Paraguay, and uh, my parents moved here when I was five and my brother was six. And, well, my dad came here to Connecticut first. My dad is a doctor, he's a physician, and uh, he moved here already having studied in Paraguay and found it really difficult to just pick up where he left off here. So he started being, he was a security guard at a hospital in Connecticut. And uh, he, my mom stayed behind with us. And then like six months later, he's like, I found a place to live. It's really cold. I mean, Paraguay does not see snow. So mom's like, I don't care, whatever. So for the first time ever, she got on a plane and took me and my brother, Billy, to Connecticut. And <laughs> we lived there. We lived in this tiny little house. It was super cold and super white and super different. And we just immediately started going to school. And, uh, and then we moved to Texas, we like road trip to Texas, and then we lived there for a while, which was a little bit of a more comfortable setting for us because there's a lot of Latins in, in Texas and of a huge Hispanic culture and community. So, but yet still the school that we went to, it was, I mean, the first time that we were learning English and the first time that we were in that kind of setting. So it was an adjustment for sure, but it's easier for kids that age, I guess. 
And then we moved to Vegas, Las Vegas, when I was 11, and I kind of grew up there. But yeah, moving to Portland was a huge culture shock. That's probably the first time that I've felt like people have made me feel really ethnic here. And I, it's not ever something that I was like ashamed of, but it's never been something that I had to talk about so adamantly and, and fight for, so. Um, I'm Ravina. I moved to Portland about two years ago, originally from Houston, um, born and raised. And my parents have a little bit of a different story. So they had an arranged marriage, but my mom was um, raised in the South. I think she moved to the U.S. maybe when she was younger, like when she was in elementary or middle school. She lived all over the South, so like Decatur, Alabama, Clinton, Mississippi, eventually like Fort Worth, Texas, um, a few other very non-Indian places and then settled in Houston. Um, So I feel like my experience in Houston, it was definitely diverse for sure, but just South Houston, sort of the area I'm from, did not have very many Indian Americans. So I had community with sort of like my parents' friends, but not in my schools, which was Mm -hmm. a little different. And then my dad grew up in India and he married my mom to get to the U.S. to kind of support his family back home. So he... um, I think they had met a few times, maybe. It was more of like an introduction, and then he had to hop on a plane. I think she flew to India, they got married, and then maybe a year later he hopped on a plane and they started fresh in in Fort Worth, and then they moved to Houston, Austin in between. Yeah, they were all over Texas, but my dad has only ever lived in Texas in the U.S. Um, He's been in this country probably like 30-something years, but I think it's still, I think he's experiencing new things every single day (laughs) um, about living in the U.S. And, like, for example, I think coming out to my parents, I think my mom was a little more, like, even familiar with what that process was. Yeah, she's been here longer. Yeah, but even then, I mean, I have a story also in that book where I talk about how she's familiar with sort of like pop culture representations of what a queer woman would be like, which is very white, very butch, very socially liberal. And so it's like, yeah, I think my mom understood it a little bit more, but um, still has a hard time with it because we don't see people that look like us. And I'm like, I'm sure your experience is similar where it's just like, it's even hard to sort of understand your own sexuality when you don't see that representation. Yeah. I mean, growing up, I... I would never really dated, you know, I was always like in my culture, it's very like, people are super nosy about like, okay, so my cousins who are 13, 14, 15, they start dating their boyfriends at that age and they're together literally until they get married. (laughs) And I go back and it's like, I'm like, but what about like, what about yourself? And what about other people? And like, what are you going to do? And, and, um, and because of that, when people in my family started finding out that I that I'm queer, they were just like, well, that's why she doesn't have a relationship, you know, and that's why she's not with someone for this long. There's like this sense of tradition that gets removed from you if you are not straight or not with a, not, you don't have another half to identify who you are. Mm -hmm. And um, I came out, I started coming out to a few of my friends and my older brother when I was 18, like 17, 18. And, well, the thing is, I moved to Seattle for college, and out there I didn't have to explain anything. I just, like, was, and it was really cool. I went to Cornish. It's a super open, amazing private art school, and I was super privileged to go there, but I didn't have to explain myself to anybody or even come out. And I hadn't come out yet, but there it was just like I was out, (laughs) so it was tight. And then um, that kind of gave me the emphasis and, like, courage to tell my older brother 
who reacted terribly, and he's like one of my best friends, so that was like, put like the lid on, and I was like, okay, I'm not gonna tell anybody after this. And uh, so I kept it to myself for a little bit longer, and then I slowly started telling friends, and family and respect and consideration is a huge thing in my culture, and so, a lot of people would, when I would tell would be like, just, well, fuck them. Like, who cares? It's like, I don't know. I care. Like, I have to be really considerate and timely about how I do this. And a lot of my friends from Seattle thought that I was like, you know, being too careful and like, I just needed to be more abrupt about things. And, but I'm really happy that I did things the way that I did. I told my parents when I was 20, yeah, 21. And they reacted terribly. But I, and I mean, my dad didn't even look at me for like three months. It was super intense and really hard for me because I'm pretty close to my parents. And my mom, our bedrooms are like right next to each other. So I could just hear her crying like every night. And she was constantly praying away the gay. I mean, I was raised Catholic and she just, it was really hard for them. And it was really hard for me to see how hard it was for them. But I was also, I felt like incredible, you know? And I was just like, well, here we go. <laughs> like, I guess this was gonna be like, I don't know. I wanna hear your coming out. No, yeah, I'm super interested in all of that because I think there's so much, like, I'm also super close with my family, but mm. at the same time, like, in our culture, we don't, I mean, we're a culture of arranged marriages, yeah. so we don't even date, you know, it's like, we're, and that was never the expectation for me, mm -hmm. but also, I mean, I'm sure there was an expectation that I would, like, marry someone, at least who's a man, but, like, right. definitely who's Indian, yeah. Um and so even just like talking about dating with my parents, because mm -hmm. I was dating guys in like high school and even a little bit into college, just because that's what was expected of me. And even just talking about that was so uncomfortable. So I like I definitely come from a culture where it's like closeness is not revealing Depth. your personal life. Yeah. Yeah. Close, yeah. And totally. it's like I don't talk. I talk about my career. Mm -hmm. I talk about <clears throat> academics. I talk about my friends, but I don't right. talk about like sexuality, sex, yeah. like any of that kind of stuff. It's in a way stuff. really surface. Totally. Um, and yeah. it's like, and, and it's so interesting because when I would tell my friends about it, they would be also forceful. And it's like, what, like, don't you feel like you're hiding a piece of my yourself when you go home? Like, don't you feel like you're, you're living a lie sort of? And I'm like, well, it's so interesting because like, I've never established that type of a relationship. So mm -hmm. even to hide this like one extra thing, it doesn't feel like hiding. It was never inherent in our Right. relationship so I came out to my mom first it was like six years ago or something like that and it went awful yeah and we just never talked about it again and that was also really interesting because it sort of reaffirmed our sort of very surface level relationship and we used to talk every day and I kind of always told myself when I like was in a relationship that I felt really strongly about like I would have to come out and I um met someone in Portland and I'm like, okay, like, even if this isn't the person, this is the time I think right. like I am, I've always been financially independent, but I feel like more stable than I've ever been in my life. And yeah. so it's kind of like, I have nothing to lose. And at the same time, it's just like, I have this person who I finally think I can kind of bring home eventually right. and like represents me in a certain way. And so I wrote them a letter this like, like maybe three, four months ago. Um, yeah. And like told both of them. And oh, it's this is recent. I thought this was a while ago. Super recent. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cause my dad never knew. And I think inherently it's always been like, I haven't gone back to India. I skipped a wedding, which was really dramatic, but I was like, <laughs> like, you know, I just haven't gone back since like they both know. And then so it's did they respond be, to the letter. They responded separately. Um, and they've kind of just been like, like my dad surprisingly <clears throat> has been, because I think, 
he's just never experienced any of this. So, like, coming with that, he doesn't know the stigmas. Like, he knows he doesn't know it, but he doesn't know anything about it. So there's an advantage to that because he's learning through you. Exactly. And it's, like, only recently, maybe, like, five months into the whole thing, he's been starting to call. Like, I called him on Father's Day, and we talked for two hours, and he's just, like, full of questions. And they're always, like... (sighs) It's really hard to be patient because they're the questions I'm sort of taught to be, like, defensive against. Like, um, are you sure this is what you've decided? Or are you, like, is this just a phase? Or even, like, those very stereotypical things where I'm just kind of like... Wait, how are you going to have kids? Totally, totally. And it's like, I mean, he's like, I've always just pictured this life for you and pictured grandchildren and, like... But then he'll, like, ask questions that really show me that he cares. Like, for example, we're moving in together, and he's like, okay, well, yeah, like, next week. (laughs) I love her. Does she go by she? Yes. Thanks for asking. Um, But he was like, well, and I told him that, too, because it's like, now that I've come out, all the cards are on the table, you know, and it's before I, like, even if it was a male partner, I would have probably hidden that we were living together. And now it's just kind of like, well, I got to talk about everything. Right. Does that feel scary? Now it's almost like, wait, let me yeah, back yeah. a bit. And he mentioned it too. He was like, we don't, we don't talk about this. Even in high school when you were dating, we never mm-hmm. talked about sex. And now he's like asking all these questions that he's super uncomfortable with. And he's trying to ask me, like, am I overstepping? And it's like, this is like, it's going to take a lot of time, but I think it's a good thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, the so we're moving in together, and he's like, you know, you have renter's insurance. I bought you renter's insurance. Let me send you the policy. It's based in oh, Portland, wow. and it's like, you know what? They have weird ways of showing that they care, yeah. but just gotta take it where it comes. Cause <laughs> yeah, that's- totally. And he was just like, I, I think I want you to know that it might be a little harder for you. Like, I want you to take investment classes. Because he was like, I think he, he's always appreciated that I've been financially independent and that I've been so career oriented. But at the same time, like, he's raised in a culture where he takes care of his own family right. back in India. His parents, yeah. his brothers, he's the oldest. That's yeah. the expectation. And also he, just the fact that he's a man. Totally. Like, that's what, one of the first things my dad said to me. He was like, well, I guess I'm going to have to take care of you forever. And I was like what yeah (laughs) no you don't I'm fine I got it and I'm like stronger than both my brothers all right I'm way tougher (laughs) than both of them so it's definitely an expectation of of men I think especially in other cultures I mean everywhere but yeah but I'm like I'm super inspired by like the fact that you have been forceful and like um I guess presenting yourself in a certain way when you go home because I think that's or when you go that's very new though yeah like it only happened like I feel like in the last maybe even couple years and Mm -hmm. it didn't even happen because I felt ready for it to happen. It happened through this experience that I had. So I'm a dancer, and I I teach and choreograph here in Portland. and Which is how we met. <laughs> yeah. Ravina comes to my dance church class, which I'll tell you guys about at the end. But um, I get a lot of work in Paraguay dance-wise because I'm a contemporary like hip-hop dancer, and it's very... Um, it's really highly desired out there, the, st- the specific style that I do. So I started meeting a ton of dancers and people and working with people and, um, you know, primarily like younger female identifying dancers and, you know, ages like 15 to 25. I mean, I work with older people also, but it's like this young crowd is so um, impressionable, you know, and I go there and my style is different. I act different. I talk different. I, um, they're always watching me, you know, and paying attention to everything I'm doing. And 
I was teaching a I teach a lot of workshops when I go out there, and I was teaching this class, and there's a lot of people that come. I mean, I get like between 50 and 100 people in each class, and just for a contemporary class. So I feel super grateful when I'm out there, and there's like this this amazing like uh, they're like sponges. There's there's such a high like uh, influence factor, and they just really want to learn and really want to be there. And I remember in one class they were kind of like. Um, talking a lot and whatnot, and the director was in there, and she was just like, "Stop talking about your boyfriends," and I was like, "Or girlfriends," and I kept, you know, kept going along my thing. And some people were like, "Ew," and then other people were really quiet. And after that, I got a few DMs, you know. And yeah, I could have been like, "Or girlfriends," or non-binary partners, but I did. I can't be complicated out there, or it can't be complex out there. It has to be really like cut dry. And then I got a few DMs afterwards and through Instagram, and they were just like, wow, that was incredible. That's literally never happened around here before. Or people don't talk about that. People don't even acknowledge it. And it just made me realize that, like, it's important for me to be out there, you know, beyond myself and beyond my family and what they think. And my family knows that I'm gay, but no one, we don't really talk about it. Um, it's slowly becoming this thing where my cousins ask about it. And... Um, but I recently found out that they don't ask about it because they think I don't want to talk about it. But I'm just like, I'm not bringing it up because I don't want to make you uncomfortable. And I'm so used to sitting in my discomfort to make everybody else comfort that it's like second nature to me now, you know? Mm -hmm. And this comes with like so much other bullshit of like what you were saying in your story, dressing a certain way. Like when I was younger and we would go, I would definitely change the way that I looked or felt like I had to adjust myself a little bit to fit in or to not be too like, oh, Allison's here and she's the weird one that wears ripped jeans and that, you know, doesn't date anybody for some reason. <laughs> and so, and has tattoos, you know, I mean, I feel like you totally understand. It's yeah. very different cultures, but it's so similar in like traditional mindset. And anyway, being a dance teacher and an educator out there, I felt like it was, I had a big responsibility to really like unapologetically be myself. And so these people have really helped me grow into my own out there and actually like expand and find a community for myself out there which in the last year I've met not a huge but you know a small queer community and but it's really dangerous out there like people don't want to be unapologetically themselves you know because if you are you get fucking killed or you get dragged behind a truck like I mean it's really is it dragged or drug no it's dragged <laughs> yeah um I mean it's really intense and so I feel like there's a big safety element that comes with it and that unfortunately is like being silent and being really in like a constrained space but the fact that it's happening I mean the conversation of trans is just now surfacing out there and it's a really big deal and it's really like not welcomed at all and it's heartbreaking and so I do feel like a huge sense of responsibility beyond myself to kind of you know educate people on progression in a in like a really gentle way you know and honestly I feel like I have a huge advantage because of the way that I look and I just and I don't take that for granted I think that I'm not the first person that someone's gonna hurt or like attack or anything like that and so I really try to stand up for people that I know will be or could be and I've only felt unsafe or uncomfortable when I've like have been with a woman, which I have been out there, and it's the first time that that I was, and yeah, I can't tell my family about it. No one knows. I don't like bring her around. She's just like a good friend that became a romance, and 
it was the first time that I was in Paraguay at a bar, like being affectionate with a woman. And I was like, whoa, like it definitely like made me notice, you know? And I asked her cause she's so used to it. And she's like, no, it's definitely weird. Like people don't, you know, you either get like the pigs who are like, ah, and they love it. Or like people who just say random things that are really hurtful. But have you been with someone? And I mean, you don't. No, I haven't. But I think like what's so interesting, like you were saying, your family is super Catholic and mm -hmm. I'm assuming, is that like a dominant religion in Paraguay or? Yeah, it's yeah, the that's only what religion in yeah. Paraguay. Um, and what's so interesting about like, so India is mostly Hindu and mm -hmm. I've been doing a lot of research and this is sort of like my perception from living here, looking in kind of, so I have to understand like this is not my experience, this is just what I've like looked into, but right. by nature, Hinduism is not a very conservative religion and yeah. a lot of people don't know that. And I mean, it is one of the only religious texts that, um, acknowledges trans people and there are certain trans people in India who are considered good luck when they show up to yeah. a baby shower when they show up but they are ostracized still because it's a caste system so there's right. a social caste system but it's such an interesting I don't know a lot about it I can't say that I know that experience at all but um, when I was looking into it because only recently has gay sex been decriminalized in India and all right. of those laws were put in by colonialism. So it's like, it's not the dominant religion in India that was creating this sort of like social stigma and this conservatism. Yeah. It was the colonialism and yeah. that has taken all of this time to erase. So it's like the conservative nature of like my parents and their friends and their parents, it's mm -hmm. all put on them, you know? So that's like a hard pill to swallow too, yeah. where it's like, for my parents, when I came out, it it was never like this greater text or this greater thing is telling me that this is wrong. It's like no one does this. Exactly. It's so community based mm -hmm. and it's so like, how are we going to tell people? Like right. It's it's grief. You know, yeah. it's like they're grieving for like the future that they had set out for me because it's the only future they've mm -hmm. seen their friends, kids kind of go through. And Absolutely. and that's why you have to be like so gentle when you come out. And that's why it's really, really hard to be unapologetic in our <clears throat> cultures, because it's like my family means so much to me. And so for me to cause them that grief, even mm -hmm. though I've done so well in my life, right. you know, I've checked all the boxes and then you can't just dismiss it. It's like, it's mm -hmm. really painful. Yeah. I, mean, I always used to say like, if I don't understand how they're thinking, how are they gonna understand how I'm thinking? Totally. You know, it's just, it's just different. And there's no other way to go around it except being kind to each other because there is a foundation yeah. of love and there is a foundation of family and, you know, just trust with each other. And then all of a sudden this big thing comes, like you said, that they didn't expect yeah. or they had a completely different life plan for you. And you have to like allow them time to be sad about it. You know, and yeah. I don't know how long it takes for, you know, it's different for everybody, but I came out almost 10 years ago now and I just, my parents are just now, and my mom is still praised to get away. I mean, she loves me and she supports me and she's finally like acknowledging things in my life, but, um, but it's been, but she's still really much dealing with the painful fact that like her only daughter is gay, you know, and then mm -hmm. my dad's really awesome about it, but my dad for a while would like tokenize me. <laughs> He'd be like, it's like when it was convenient to talk about the fact that he had a queer kid, he was like, all about it, you know? And <laughs> I'm like, you gotta stop doing that. You gotta be proud everywhere. Like if you're a supporter, you're a supporter in every single aspect of life. But um, yeah.
Um, there's an amazing podcast, which I don't know if y'all listen to, Nancy, on WNYC, and it's a queer podcast that's hosted by two Asian Americans, and they had someone on that was talking about, like, coaching people of color, people of different cultures to come out to their family, and I think one of the most interesting things that they said was when people come out, they are almost aggressive about it and they're always like this is me why aren't you accepting me like Mm -hmm. this is me right now and they always only address the present and they never so for the families it's like what the fuck I raised you like I thought I knew you like I've seen you date these boys like I don't understand so when I was sort of writing a letter and like writing is sort of my therapy it's like how I express myself so it's like when I was writing it was only an exercise and I was following this like six-step process almost but essentially it's just like address the past in like a really gentle way say that you're here for it and you're proud don't act apologetic um even if that's how you feel because that's how I felt I felt guilty that I was like sort of ruining I'm the only child so it's like I felt guilty that I was sort of like ruining their visions of my future kind of thing, but don't, don't let that on. And then also address the future. And I thought that was really, really interesting because like I had to sort of address, like, I don't know if I want kids, but at the same time, like, I want you to know that it's still an option for Mm -hmm. me. I live in an incredibly liberal community. I mean, I think same sex marriage might necessarily not be stable in the future but a part I can have a partnership I can have kids like I can have this future that you imagined for me it might not be the partner you imagined for me but it will be like the support and love that you would want for me and so I thought that was really interesting and then also talk more about the present because I think a lot of people say like I am gay like why don't you accept me why don't you accept my partner and it's like I sort of had to address it by being like I do have a partner maybe it's a lot for you to accept her right now but at the same time like you need to know that she's a good person and she makes me a better person. And so it's like, I thought that was key. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, you've got to walk somebody through for me. I mean, it took so long to get here and then just to kind of throw it on another person is a lot. I think that we are, even though we have our stories that are really difficult for, you know, ourselves, I think that we're really lucky. I know a lot of people that I don't, I know don't have the family foundation that I have. And so I guess my advice, it's like not easy. I understand why people are angry and I understand why they're aggressive and I understand why they like show up and they're can be almost violent about this kind of topic to just like shake people to get them to understand them, which I understand, but I also do think that that can be counter like productive sometimes because like when after I came out, I was really silent about it. You know, it was like I dropped the bomb and then I was just like, kind of like, <laughs> I wouldn't talk about anything. I was still super secretive about it. I like, I just basically became like an asexual person in my household. You know, I was like, I didn't, well, I didn't grow up. My, my parents didn't talk to me about sex, drugs, like nothing. Like our, my, our family was similar to yours. It's very surface, super close, super in each other's business, but we don't talk anything in depth. Now we do. Thanks to me, but um, <laughs> I and in, in Paraguay I'm always stirring the pot because you know I was like, oh here's Allison again, I'm gonna start another debate. But I'm like, but I think the reason why people are receptive about it is because I am kind about it and I do ask a lot of questions and I'm receptive to what they have to say, you know. And I don't eliminate anything unless someone's like actually painfully like attacking someone. I'm gonna listen. I'm gonna hear someone out. But my advice, I feel like, would be to like find a fucking community like friends became my family to me and I didn't find family friends until I was 28 
where it's like, yeah, I had some friends that really supported me, but like, just because you're like waving the rainbow flag around doesn't mean you support me. Like, I want you to ask me questions. I want you to ask me who I'm dating. I want you to ask me if I've been in love. I, I just, I want you to ask me what my future looks like to me. And so I really think that my friends here specifically kind of like saved me, you know, it was really overwhelming. Like even now I'm overwhelmed like talking about it because it's just like not something that I got in my family, but also these people taught me by, they, they created the space for me to feel really safe and talk about myself or like share about myself, not talk about myself. And so it translated into my family life and I started doing that at home and they were all actually really receptive to it. You know, so it's been years of them feeling like I don't want to talk about it, me feeling like they don't want to talk about it. And so there's been this huge block between us where now that I've just started sharing more, they're they're asking more, you know, and then they share also. And so it's just it, it just is now, you know, it's not a thing anymore. And that's it took a long time, but it's it feels really good. So I, I like completely salute like my community and my friends for for like creating that space for me. And I think you bring up a really good point about asking questions, too. It's like you you need to let people feel like you're receptive to questions. But also I've learned like asking questions back can teach you a lot about like where someone comes from and where their prejudices come from and where their beliefs come from. Because I learned I learned so much about my dad by doing that. And it's like, Mm -hmm. where did you come up with this? Like, what is this belief stemming from? And I think that can kind of help you to sort of like, um, I guess mold your responses in a way that would be helpful. And it's frustrating because it feels like so much work. It's not always fun to be like the one that has to show up for, you know, a a million people in the population. And especially like in Paraguay, which is such a small community. And like my family is a big family, but they're really close minded and it is exhausting. That's why I was just like, well, I'm just going to be out here. I'm only out here for a couple months and then I go back to my life. But that just became so sad after a while. You know, so I started just really being myself and it was painful. You know, it was difficult every day to like dress how I wanted to dress, say the things I wanted to say, do the things I wanted to say and feel my grandparents just like (laughs) being like almost tortured, you know, like not understanding me at all, like not even a smidge. But like love really does like come on top sometimes. And if you just are yourself, showing them that you're not that different just because of this one element of your life. And like you said earlier, being really proud of it. I mean, it's probably one of my favorite things about myself is being queer, you know? And once they felt that, they're kind of starting to feel proud of it too. I mean, proud is kind of a long stretch, but (laughs) you know, feeling okay about it. Yeah. Yeah, if you have any, definitely if you have any questions um, or want to follow up, I think that was the hardest thing for me was finding people who understood my story. So if you have a similar story, if you have just questions about more of my story, let me know. I'd love to hear from y'all. My Instagram is at Balara, B-H-A-L-A-R-A, and you can DM me or send me a message. Um, You could also let me know if you want to buy my book. I just finished a project. I self-published the first round and I'm sold out. I'm trying to figure out how to do another round, but it's called Gay, Brown, and Hungry. And it's about, um, I guess, sexuality, identity, and a little bit about Taco Bell. And uh, <laughs> This bitch loves Taco Bell. I love how proud of it you are, too. I love Taco Bell, too, but I never eat it. <laughs> uh, that's my favorite. And um, 
yeah, I'm I'm working on another round, but I'm just also trying to get gauge interest. So if anyone's interested in hearing more reading or writing, like you heard at the beginning of this podcast, hit me up. <laughs> Are you vegetarian? Not anymore. That's a long okay. story. I thought I have you to... were when we first met. I was like, I so was like, what do you eat at Taco Bell? About being burrito. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Big Mac kind of gal. I love Big Macs. Um, so I always make it a point to. Um, so being a dance teacher, I meet a lot of people that aren't from here, and I always make it a point to talk to them after class and kind of, especially if they're Hispanic or Latin, just because I really identify with that, and especially if they just moved here and they have, like, their accent still intact, and I'm just, like, I want to, like, coddle them and be like, you good? <laughs> because it's really scary. But um, I, I feel like dance church is the biggest way that I've, like, met a lot of people and have a community, and, I mean, Ravina has been... Um, she used to come regularly and it was so nice to have her in class and I do get like a specific kind of high when I see people of color in my class and I think that it's an intimidating class because of that but that's why I show up every week because I'm waiting for that break where people in Portland um, notice that it's a class for everybody and I mean so what this class is it's an 80 minute like non-stop moving workout kind of just fun dance party it's um to hip-hop and pop music and Latin music, and there's a lot of freedom in it. So if you like to move and you like to dance and you want to kind of get a workout, there's no front. You don't face the mirror. It's not choreography. It's literally just, like, community and good feels. So um, that's one way you guys can get to know me. It's, um, it's held at Steps PDX in Southeast, the Troy Laundry Building, and it's on Wednesdays, 8 to 9.30 p.m., and Sunday mornings, 10 to 11.30 and my Instagram is a baby jacks, just literally like a baby, <laughs> a baby jacks. <laughs> I also um, have a nonprofit called Bone Velvet Arts Formation, and we produce events and curate performances, and um, we do our best to highlight and you know work with people of color, whether it be uh, chefs or artists or musicians. Or if you want to have like a showing for your book or reading for your book, that's something that we like, you know, can work around and find venue for and like the resources for. So, yeah, I do love Portland and I do think that it's becoming like, I don't know if it's just me, but like I'm seeing a lot more color now. It's like it's coming to surface. Finally, people are like, OK, we have people that are going to protect us, that are going to stand up for us. And. Um, it's really cool because totally. I was like getting on the point where I'm like, I'm going to leave. Like I yeah. can't be here anymore, but that's why we have to stay. Exactly. So like, I think I had the same thing in the first year where I'm like, I found all the people of color. We all were uncomfortable and we all wanted to leave. And yeah. then like, it was like eight of us. I mean, you met mm -hmm. my friend Ben, yeah. like all of this, like this community of people since then they've all left. And I'm like, I feel like I'm on an Island, but then I can kind of find the people that are like trying to make it better. Like with bone velvet yeah. or dance church or all of these like different institutions that are start or that like on she goes, it's like all of these yeah. institutions that are like bringing up people of color. And I'm like, if we all leave, then we're not going to be able to build that community for each other right. in this type of space. And, um, exactly. yeah, I think I'm like coming around to it. It took a minute because it's like, I mean, I lived in, I lived in Houston, then I lived in Austin, Detroit, New York, yeah. and it's like, and then I come to Portland. No, it's I like didn't want to come here, but I came here, and I'm like, what yeah. the fuck, you know? Yeah. But, um, but I think there is something beautiful about like, like you said, like I I come into AJ's class, and she's like, what's your name? Like, talk to me about you, you know? And it's like, I thought that was really cool and really special, and like, yeah, most you. cities you don't get that, you know? <laughs> Thanks. 
Yeah, thanks for letting us share. It was awesome being here with you. I yeah. love that we're doing this together. And uh, I want to buy your book. Thank you. I need <laughs> so to make when you more. get that second, so when you get that second round. Yeah, thank you. This was actually really therapeutic. Great. Work. I know it really was. <laughs>